0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, who is enjoying the start of school holidays? Yeah, I'm too. I'm pumped. Uh, and parents, who's enjoying the start of school holidays? Yeah, it's always an interesting time. Half the room loves it. Um, half the room has has now got more in their plate because of the holidays. Um, anyway, um, enough about that. Uh, happy end of financial year, everyone. Um, I know Glenn's taken a a bit of a holiday to to celebrate, um, which is very good. Uh, Anyway, this morning we're going to be continuing our series on courage that we began last week. So Brad was preaching to us uh, about proclaiming the truth. Uh, So sort of talking about those moments of opportunity we get to really stand up for the gospel and to make sure that we are standing up for the gospel more than uh, we're standing up for other social issues or anything because the gospel is the truly important thing in this in this world that people need to hear. Um, next week we're going to be hearing from Jake about following the truth. So Brad's is sort of more like a public standing out moment but Jake's going to be talking about uh, following the truth and that's more of a, a private sort of where God's where Jesus is leading you and following him. Um, <clears throat> Following him, where he's taking you in your personal life. Sorry, my voice is, it's been on the edge all week. And it was about this time last year that I had laryngitis, so I've been trying to stave it off. So bear with me, please. Um, And this morning, I'm going to be talking to us about uh, telling the truth. So not just honesty and not lying, but more just living for Jesus in the way that you just go about your everyday life. And they, they build on each other. A little bit. Um, I think Brad was saying that they go from easiest to hardest. It's easy to stand up for Jesus in those few moments in our life, but it's a lot harder to to then live out a life which is um, in sync with that, that other people see, and it's even harder to go absolutely everywhere that Jesus is calling us. So I'll just remind us of a tagline for this series, which is, courage comes when our fear of God is greater than our fear of others. And that verse from Matthew 10, 28, that 28, that God, oh my goodness, that Brad um, brought to us last week, he's a senior pastor, he hasn't quite, hasn't quite got past there yet. Um, anyway, Matthew ten twenty eight, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So who do you fear more? Do you fear God more, or do you fear people more? So, this morning, I want to talk about integrity um, or telling the truth in the way that we live our daily lives, and so the definition i 'll be working from for integrity is integrity is doing the right thing no matter the cost, doing the right thing, no matter the cost and we 've got a bit of a peculiar passage this morning so i 'll be reading to you from acts four thirty two to five eleven so it 's a little bit of a longer one. Um, And I'll give you a little bit of the setup as you flick to there, as you swipe to there, it'll be on the screen behind me. So the church is is just beginning, like this is a couple of chapters after Jesus has gone back into heaven again, and they're trying to figure out how to to do this whole Christian community type of thing. Um, And the word church is actually only just being first used here to describe their gathering. And so we see that they've got amazing unity and incredible growth in their community, but then we see the first instance of sin in the gathering of believers and we see what happens to that. So are you, are you ready to read the word with me this morning? Good, I hope so. Um, Radio. so Acts 4.32-5.11 to 5, 11. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land?' "'Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? "'And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? "'What made you think of doing such a thing? "'You have not lied just to human beings, but to God.' "'When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, "'and great fear seized all who heard what happened. "'Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, "'and carried him out and buried him. "'About three hours later, his wife came in, "'not knowing what had happened.' Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment she fell down dead at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great great fear seized the whole church, and all who heard about these events. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Would you illuminate it to us this morning? Would you help us to understand what you're saying? And God, would you aid my voice in speaking in mighty name? Amen. Has anyone here ever wanted the reward for something, but wasn't willing to do the work to get that reward. Um, I remember on a holidays, just like this one, when I was very, very young, I was probably nine or ten, um, Dad, I have a feeling he went through this phase of setting us logic puzzles before he went to work, and then we'd come back from work and see if we figured it out. I, can't, I can only remember this one that he set us, so I can't remember whether he just set us one or he did a few. I feel like he did a few. Um, But he he told us this logic puzzle, went to work and wanted to, to know the answer at the end of the day. And so I'll tell it to you now. So some scientists have programmed a robot that can cross roads all on its own. And so there's this whole lot of procedure that it goes through to get to the road and then it checks if the road is clear. And if it's safe to cross, it crosses the road. And if it's not safe to cross, it just goes around the block and tries again a few minutes later. The robot takes eight hours to cross the road why does it take to take eight hours? I'll leave you with that one for a little bit, I'll, I'll tell you the answer in a sec, but I'll um, let you try and figure it out for a second. So, I really wanted the, the pat on the back for f- being able to figure it out. I wanted to be clever, I was inspired that Dad knew the answer um, and that he had set us that task and I wanted to be able to, to do it. And so, I we, we worked on it, me and Will, we worked on it all day separately because we were just super competitive and wanted to get one up over each other all the time, my brother. And uh, about half the day had gone past, it was a couple of hours till Dad came back from work and I was no closer to, to figuring out what the answer was. And um, as James said, uh, Jackie's on leave at the moment, past her mum. So I think mum and dad being in England... It's probably far enough away for me to come clean about what happened on that day. Because, you see, little nine-year-old Tom wasn't quite smart enough to figure out the puzzle, but he was smart enough to go to the book that Dad had got the puzzle from and look in the back and find the answer for himself. So, I'll tell you the answer. There was a car that was parked on the road, and the robot didn't know to think that that wasn't driving towards it, so he saw the car, the car was parked there for eight hours. And that was the answer to the, the puzzle. I cheated. Um, I got the answer right when Dad got back from work later that day and I got the pat on the back and aren't you so clever. Um, but I'm surprised I didn't give myself away. Uh, that was the first time I learnt what the word stationary meant. And I think I pronounced it stadionary. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't good. So I'm, I'm not sure how I didn't give myself away there. So to a father with limited knowledge of his child's abilities through the day, my dad's not omnipresent, he can't see what I do all the time, I got away with it. Um, it doesn't make it any more right, but I didn't get found out until today. I mean, like maybe I did, like I was nine years old, I just solved a logic puzzle and was as smart as that. I, I thought I was the best in the world that day. Um, to a God with unlimited knowledge of his creation's activities, Ananias and Sapphira's false integrity looked every bit as obvious as a nine-year-old lying about the robot seeing a car that was steady And so there are a couple of issues that come up in this passage uh, in Acts 5. What is Ananias and Sapphira's sin? And why did they have to die for it? Um, I thought in the New Testament, God was supposed to be loving and gracious and forgiving people now. And on the surface, it seems as though Ananias and Sapphira's sin was that they didn't give all of their money to the church. And so, just quickly, we'll get the stewards to, to come up and to pass the buckets around again. <laughs> nah, no, not quite. That's not quite it. The key to understanding their transgression is in verse 4 of chapter 5. So Peter says, didn't it, being the land, belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Now Peter isn't saying, if you weren't going to give all the money to the church, why would you even bother selling the land at all? Why would you bother even giving us anything if you weren't going to give us everything? But Ananias is copying What Barnabas and what the other believers were doing at the end of chapter 4 there, when they were giving all of their proceeds from the sale. Except Ananias only looks like he's giving all the proceeds from the sale of his land. So maybe he told Peter beforehand, or some of the other believers beforehand, that he was going to give all the money from the land. Or maybe he just did it in such a way that everyone around just assumed that he was giving all the money and he deliberately made it look like he was giving all the money. Like people were were bringing it to the apostles' feet, so maybe he just copied that and hoped that he would, would get away with it. Either way, he's trying to have his cake and eat it too. And Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted the reward for integrity so much, but the price of integrity was too much for them to pay. But why did God... Have to cause them to die. I mean, okay, sure. Maybe Ananias and Sapphira were deceitful and they sinned, but why does that mean that they have to die as a result of that? It's quite confusing and it goes against everything that we read in the New Testament and seems to be whatever the New Testament stands for. God is creating here a moment in the early church that will solidify the unity of the believers in their gathering and will also drive them away from sin. Like, God is holy and cannot abide by sin, so he is justified in judging sin whenever it happens. The early church was only just starting, and an internal scandal like someone embezzling money like that may have crippled it or just completely stopped it. But, Tom, you say, God surely would have found a way around that if he'd let them be forgiven or given them an opportunity to repent. I mean, Sapphira got an opportunity and it seems like Ananias didn't really get that much of a a chance. God did find a way to keep the church moving forward at an incredible explosive rate and that was by drawing that line in the sand for the community of believers in an awe inspiring way that sin isn't tolerated in this new thing that they were doing. Um, I was reading other commentators and they were saying that it was, was, the church was so young and that if um, there was a scandal there, it may have toppled the the church. It was a crucial moment in the church's history, whereas today we sort of see some funny stuff going on all around the world and even if the whole of the Australian church was to fall over due to a, a scandal or something happening on the inside there are other parts of the church the church is strong enough to keep going and the gospel still goes out it's a very confusing passage it's such a rare thing that we see in scripture that God not showing mercy or God not giving grace It's certainly not the the normal but God extends such amazing grace to us by leaving our sin unpunished and giving us time to come back to him so don't be discouraged by this story. God is long-suffering with me and He's long-suffering with you because He desires us to come back to Him. He loves us and He wants us to know His goodness for ourselves. But He is well within His rights as the creator of the... Creator, oh my goodness. The creator of everything to judge sin however He sees fit. So to, to quote C.S. Lewis, um, talking about God is safe. Of course He isn't safe but he's good. We serve a good God. He holds everything in his hand and is worthy of our fear and reverence. We rely on him for life, for wisdom, for every good thing. But he is the judge who one day will decide right from wrong and give, give out judgments that will be final. So like, that was very somber and serious and and hard, but it's really the elephant in the room when it comes to that passage in Acts. But what do we actually learn about integrity from Ananias and Sapphira, seeing as that's what we're, we're talking about in this series? Uh, my first point is that integrity takes courage. Integrity takes courage. So I was redoing my um, personal budget the other week and I have an Excel spreadsheet set up and it's got colours happening and sums and... I was really proud of it for, for a whole week there. I was, was constantly just showing people to be like, look, and when I add this number in, it goes green. Um, it was, was quite good. But anyway, I was sitting down a month ago and I was figuring it out. I was just adjusting a few things and changing a few things. And I was looking at, at how much I'd allocated to my offering each week. And I asked myself the question well, I didn't really ask myself the question, it just sort of popped into my head intrusively. Could I be tithing more? Could I be giving more to God? And it took way longer than I'm proud of admitting to delete that number and type in just a marginally bigger number in that column labelled offering. So integrity holds this idea of whatever the cost. As Christians, living my life for Jesus, whatever the cost, living my life like Jesus, whatever the cost. Like I said earlier, the price of integrity for Ananias and Sapphira was too high for them to pay. So they tried to fake it. They tried to falsify the spirit at work in their lives. They tried to get the reward without actually doing the required work. They feared what people thought of them. They feared running out of money. Or at the very least, they feared not having as much as anyone else which is silly, because in chapter 4 it says that they were living in a time where everyone shared everything, and nothing belonged to anyone in particular. We see in chapter 4, Barnabas is an example of integrity. He's moved by the Spirit, in unity with what other believers are doing. He sells the land, he gives all of the money, and there's no real fuss or drama made about what he's doing. Um, Luke mentions him specifically because he's important later on in, in Acts and he's showing you the character of this guy who goes on missionary journeys with Paul and is leading churches in Antioch and all around the place. His nickname tells you what type of person he is, the son of encouragement. Encouragement literally meaning to give courage or to give confidence. He does what he says no matter the cost, which is hard because sometimes the thing you said you were going to do turns out to be something unenjoyable. It turns out to be something difficult. It turns out to be something way less fun than what someone else is doing. Are we going to be people of integrity? People who keep their word no matter what the personal cost, no matter the cost to my time, no matter the cost to my bank account, no matter the cost to my effort. And this is where the courage element comes into it. Fearing God more than fearing other people. The world fears not having enough in their bank account, or not having enough belonging to my name, or not having enough free time on my calendar. How do I get the most for the least amount of effort? The fear of other people's opinions about them, the fear of running out, the fear of not being at the top of the pile. But we, as Jesus followers, have our fear in God, a God who says he will provide for us, a God who calls us to be generous because he was generous to us, a God who calls us to be loving because he first loved us. Integrity is worth having because it causes us to act like Jesus. Following his example following God's heart for the people in our lives and aligning our will to His so that we act like people of integrity more and more each day. And this leads us on to the next point that I want to make about integrity. Integrity is heavenly-minded. Integrity is heavenly-minded. So one of the things that I couldn't seem to get away from in regards to integrity was that we can be free to act whatever the cost in this life, because our hope and our reward is in the next. So I'll read to you from Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. "'Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, "'where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. "'But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, "'where neither moth nor rust destroys, "'and thieves do not break in or steal.'" For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As Jesus' followers, our idea of integrity comes from God. It comes from God's character, and it comes from Jesus' example. And Jesus was consistently reminding his followers to not live for today, but to live for heaven. Once again, not necessarily giving up all your money to the church or going, driving around sale with your windows down, throwing all your cash out and throwing your cards out. I mean, you got like, the like tap, they can do, do up to $100, fine, give it away. Um, easy money. Uh, not, not doing that, not just giving up all your money to the church just for whatever or just giving it all away for whatever, but living according to the Word of God, which is the Bible, whatever the cost. And having faith that what we give up in this life, we will receive a reward for it in the next. And Barnabas exemplifies this. He sells his land. He gives all the money to the apostles. And financially, it's an action that doesn't make sense. But he shows his fear of God rather than his fear of money. Ananias and Sapphira don't exemplify this. They're clinging to money, not willing to give it up. They're clinging to their reputation in the church, wanting to be the most respected in the community. And it makes sense to the world, but it breeds disunity. It brings pride and selfishness and me first. And they're not qualities that God calls us to live out. Um, A story that sums up integrity being heavenly-minded for me is the parable of the hidden treasure that we find in Matthew 13 so it's just one single verse so it's Matthew 13 verse 44 the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field when a man found it he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field what a man of integrity he finds a hidden treasure on someone else's property he hides it again and then tells everything he has to go get that field. And the world would say, just take the treasure. You found it, fair and square, then you've got the treasure, and you've got all your stuff. I mean, you're having a really great day. But that isn't acting with integrity. That's stealing, that's that's just breaking the law. Even if the owner doesn't know that they're being stolen from. And Jesus is saying in this story that the treasure is heaven. And the man is overjoyed at finding the treasure and gives everything to get it. Do we feel that way about heaven? That we would rather gain an eternity in heaven than a good or a comfortable life here on earth. It's the why to integrity. It's the reason to be people of integrity. To the world, it looks like the man has overpaid for a random field. It looks like it doesn't make sense. But the man knows what the world doesn't. The treasure is worth more than everything he owns. And Barnabas shows us this. He didn't fear what people thought of him. He didn't fear the financial circumstance he was getting himself into. But he knew that he was storing up treasure in heaven by being a man of such solid character. He feared God more than he feared other people. This made him act in a way that doesn't make sense if what you fear isn't God. Ananias and Sapphira showed that they feared money more than God. They feared other people's opinions more than God. They feared losing out on earthly things for heavenly things, temporary things for eternal things. They were afraid that the field they were buying wasn't worth all of their money. and Somehow living with integrity was not worth the reward of heaven. That somehow God couldn't be trusted to come through when he said that the kingdom of heaven would be worth losing out in this life. Do you trust that God won't fail you? Are you trying to hedge your bets just in case? Do you act like Ananias and Sapphira because you're worried that the reward won't be good enough? Do you fear this life more than God? Do you ignore the things that he wants you to do because it takes away from your enjoyment of this life? It takes courage to trade in the things of this life for the things of heaven. Um, End of financial year, to do your taxes with integrity, to go about your work with integrity, to be generous with your life, to live as people of integrity but rest assured that the reward is worth it. And God has sent His Spirit to us to help us live out this life of integrity. We aren't in this alone, and it is worth the sacrifice. How are you going? Are you still with me? Okay, good. So this is the, the last idea, and then I'll, I'll close. Uh, integrity leads to repentance. Integrity leads to Repentance. There is a person in scripture that we see has not lived a life of integrity and yet he experiences forgiveness. This is what I was talking about when Ananias and Sapphira aren't the norm. God very often extends grace very often extends forgiveness to people. And so we read about this guy called Zacchaeus in Luke 19. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He is going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So here is a man who is renowned for his lack of integrity. Tax collectors are notorious for ripping people off in New Testament times. I um, was reading one dictionary and they were saying there's a specific type of tax collector that the priests would consider unclean. If they came into your house, they would make your house unclean by just being there. That's how disliked the tax collectors are in those times. And Zacchaeus is likely no different. He's probably been adding extra charges onto the taxes that Rome requires and it's made him a very wealthy man. The desperation of Zacchaeus in this story was something that I've never really thought about or never really noticed until this week. In the story, he runs. For a wealthy man of that time, to run was embarrassment enough. But then he climbs A tree he runs so that he can climb a tree it's so undignified especially for someone so wealthy he's desperate he's not just curious but jesus sees him so whether this is in a normal i've seen him from far away away and i just walked over to him or whether he's just been walking and suddenly very spiritually he looks up and knew zacchaeus was there from the beginning of time um he he sees him but well, Luke doesn't really mention how or why, and it doesn't really matter. But Jesus sees this wealthy man of little integrity, and Jesus wants to stay with him. Could you imagine being Zacchaeus in that moment? I mean, you were just hearing about this Jesus guy who was walking through, and for some reason you were desperate to see him, and so you've climbed up this tree, and then he's named you and asked that you come down because he is staying with you me, the Jesus wants to have lunch with me wants to stay in my house and then the murmuring starts, does Jesus know who this guy is? Does Jesus know what this guy has done to us? So whether right there or over dinner later or sometime later on Zacchaeus addresses this a man of little integrity and great wealth speaks these words I give half my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And this seems so extravagant. I don't know how many mathematicians we've got in the church today, but for a man who has made his fortune off cheating people, Zacchaeus seems to have just said that he's giving away all of his money. He seems to have just run himself straight into debt. It does have a biblical basis, however, um, if you cast your minds back a couple of weeks ago to when Brad was speaking about David in the forgiven message in labels, um, the biblical requirement for repaying something you've stolen was to give back four times the amount. So, if I was to steal someone's car and get caught, I'd have to give you four cars as payment. That, that's, that's a lot. It's a lot. Um, Zacchaeus meets Jesus, And his whole outlook on life has changed. The money and possessions that he has mean nothing to him once he meets Jesus and sees who he is. And this is repentance, a conviction of how Zacchaeus used to live, a desire to live differently and an action towards that new life. Um, And the strange thing is, is that Jesus pronounces salvation on him straight away. Like Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm going to make sure you pay back every single person four times the amount before I'm going to save you. Jesus looks at the heart and that's how we know we are saved is because we have grace through faith. God gives us salvation when we desire to know him, when we desire to be saved. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The impact of integrity is incredible in the life of a Jesus follower. It seems to make no sense. It seems to just be sacrificing things for no reward. But the reward is secure in heaven. Ananias and Sapphira's story is an outlier in the New Testament, and even in these these times in 2019. God doesn't like sin. That's still for sure. But the time we have to repent and turn back to Him is God's grace to us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and causes us to repent. It causes us to turn away from our old life and into a new life. And maybe this morning you feel like you're Ananias or Sapphira. You're trying to hedge your bets in life. You haven't fully committed to God or a life of integrity, a life that trades in earthly treasures for heavenly treasures. Can I urge you to take God seriously? Keep reading His Word and find out just how much He can be trusted. Trust Him more and more with the different parts of your life. Ask His Spirit to dwell more richly inside you and empower you, empower your everyday life to be full of integrity. He won't withhold His judgment forever, but He loves you and extends this free offer of grace for you today. Maybe you feel like you're more Zacchaeus. You've never really given much thought to living a life of integrity, living a life for anything or anyone other than yourself. It's always made sense to live for money and for earthly treasure. Maybe you've never heard that there was a different way to, to go about it. Can I urge you to meet God? The Father who has created everything and gives every good thing. Jesus who lived and who died and who was raised to life so that we could spend eternity in heaven with him. The Spirit who changes our desires each day and makes us more and more like Jesus. Can I urge you to begin this relationship and journey with Jesus by talking with Brad or me or just any other Christian you know. God loves you. And although he calls his followers to follow him, whatever the cost in this life, he has rest and peace and incredible blessing prepared for us in heaven. Maybe you feel a lot more like your Barnabas. You live a life of integrity and self-sacrifice and generosity. You keep your word and do the right thing no matter the cost. Can I urge you to keep going? Never tire of living this way because the reward that awaits you in heaven is so great. And the impact of love and generosity that you have in this life may be hard for you to see, but is so big in the lives of the people that it touches. Keep relying on the Spirit and keep in step with what He is doing in your life. God loves each and every one of you. Keep running to Him with your cares and concerns. And I pray that you go this week to live lives of integrity in each of your worlds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace, which reaches us even when we feel like we don't deserve it, because we don't deserve it. God, we were we're broken and then you came along and you have made us whole again. You've given us life again. God, would you help us to do the right thing no matter the cost, would you help us to keep following you? And God, if we, if we don't know you, if we don't know who you are, or if we haven't quite jumped in and fully committed to you, God, would I pray that our, our hearts would do that, that we would jump in and be fully committed to you and that we would see that reward being piled up in heaven for us, that we would see that reward waiting and we would count it as worth everything we've got to give up in this life. God, we love you. God, we thank you for loving us first. In your mighty name, amen.